Why do you love it so much? I think if you own your own business, you have to be prepared to take risks. Being a woman doesn't hold you back from achieving success. Yep, so if you're struggling, just stop and pause and, and really reflect on why am I struggling here. But I've also worked really hard and telling me it's luck, I think, just takes away some of that recognition of the hard work. One last question. Welcome to Tea with the Queen, a show where I talk with some of my favourite go-getters, inspiring and courageous women in leadership and business. I'm your host, Emma McQueen. I'm a business coach, executive coach, author and speaker. And for 20 years, I've been working with women to unlock their potential and get paid their worth while doing work they love. All businesses have to begin at some point. Those startup days are often the hardest. They can be scary, they can be exhilarating, and the stress and hours you put in can be overwhelming. Tracy Bell experienced all that when she founded Fat Mamas with her good friend, Kathy Jenkins. Fat Mamas, which sells handmade bags, is still running, but Tracy moved on after the business was hit hard by the global financial crisis. Since then, Tracy's been steered in a different direction. She moved to World Vision as Digital Capability Manager, and today she's Head of Delivery at Unisuper, immersed in the world of technology, strategy, and transformation. She tells me how her career has panned out, and she has some encouraging words of advice for others looking to change things for the better. I hope you enjoy this interview. So Tracy, you spent a good chunk of the early 2000s, not in the corporate world, but actually running your own business. Tell me about Fat Mamas. I know, interesting name, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit politically incorrect these days, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was kind of done as a bit of a joke and my... I was a mum and had met a friend who was also a mum. She was a visual merchandiser. And she uh, had some great... I mean, I was interested in graphic design at that stage and was doing a lot of creative work. And so we basically got talking together and thought, you know, we could do some products here. And I'd kind of been doing a bit of work in marketing, marketing design, and and so was interested in using some of those skills and my graphic design skills because I'd studied graphic design for a while. So we just started this little craft business that started off just developing a few products for kids and parents, and I did the logo and the brand associated with it. That was a bit of fun, and um, we just tried it out. So that's kind of what Fat Mamas was, was just we uh, basically experimented with some products for parents that we sold at markets just to see if they... We did a few trade shows... Um, we went up to Sydney and did a trade show up there. So it was kind of a, it was a really great experience of running a small business. And I learned so much. I just learned so much. Yeah. And what, what did you learn? What were the kind of a couple of lessons that you took away from doing that? And how long did you do that for? Well, there was a lot of lessons in, I mean, particularly marketing in product development, design and development, like how do you do it? Doing little focus groups with parents and the kind of investment side of it. So how much money you really need to put into these things. And I think ultimately what it gave us was that what started as a kind of friendship, we sort of hit a point where we were really asking questions about how serious we wanted to get 
with this. So that was our tipping point. When we were starting to talk about going to New York and do trade shows over there and expand our brand and do things like that, and my business partner at the time, Kathy, kind of just had a bit of a, ah, I don't know whether I really want to do all of that. <laughs> and so that kind of pushed us to a point where we were um, really looking at where did we want this to go? And that was that was really the tipping point of why I left because it really did get to that point. I think um, one of the biggest lessons for me was when you're setting up a business with a friend, you do actually get to a point where you have to really seriously ask those questions about whether you want this to continue as a friendship or as a, as a really serious business partnership because there's a lot of risk associated with it when you start to get to a point where there's serious investment. And we're only talking like, between fifty and a hundred thousand, so that's not that serious investment, but it's enough to to put you in a tipping point with your kids and your husband, where it's like, okay, we kind of really need to think about putting some money in this, and money doesn't come back very quickly, so yeah. it can take a few years for anything to start turning over a profit, and that's probably that's what I learnt most. Yeah, it's great to sort of think, oh, you can sell a few products at the market on a weekend and. 30, 40 grand a year, that's great. But if you really want to earn some serious money at it, then you've got to be willing to put money in. Yeah. And that's kind of was the tipping point for us as to where we where we decided that both of us didn't share the vision on where we wanted the business to go. And so I made the choice to um, maintain the friendship rather than push that to a point where we were clearly going to go off in different directions. <laughs> so interesting because when I talk to people who are thinking about going into business with a friend, mm. I ask them the questions about, you know, worst case scenario, what might happen? Do you need to choose a friendship over business? And I haven't seen very many businesses successfully run in partnership. When they start out, it's all great and fun. But when it gets a bit more serious and one doesn't have the skin in the game or one has too much skin in the game and you start to see friendships kind of implode, which is awful. But better to know that sooner rather than later, I guess. Absolutely. I think so. I think as soon as you start to talk about putting anything more than kind of 20 or 30 grand in, that's the tipping point, I reckon, where you need to start be having those serious conversations about what do we, do we really share the vision here or not? So that was really probably the biggest lesson. Yeah, I love that. And then you moved into a paid job. So at a not-for-profit, which is World Vision Australia, Mm. as the digital capability manager. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I mean, that was actually driven by a bit of necessity as well, because within our family... Like my husband had some mental health issues, and so that was, it, you know, I did get to it. Also, got to a tipping point where I had to say, okay, do we continue with a business that's not guaranteed to be bringing any money in, or do I actually go off and get a paid job that we can guarantee that we can pay the bills every month? And I needed to do that to reduce the stress and pressure on my husband at that time. So, mm-hmm. so that was kind of that was really the driver as to why I went back to paid work. Um, and then it was, you know, a good choice because I was working for a great organisation. And because I had that breadth of experience of kind of having spent, you know, three, four years trying to get a business and products off the ground, um, I was able to really be that connector between the technology arm of the business and the money-making side of it for want of a better way of describing it yeah and in a large business you can't start from scratch you can only really change what's already there do you feel like that's fair to say I think it's an interesting one that because I mean certainly my time at World Vision and since you know I mean the buzzwords in technology are always around disruption 
and you know everybody wants to innovate <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I think if you really truly embrace disruption I think that you can actually set up a you know what we used to refer to at the time was a world vision 2.0 but that has to be set up on the side of your existing business it can't be run from within the existing business and that's really what in my mind true disruption is but the existing business you can still be working on your existing business in trying to change it and that's what I would more refer to as optimization so I mean optimization can still have a transformation agenda and that's really what I've ended up leading in most organizations is that change within the business while the big heroes go off (laughs) to the side and potentially try and set up something completely new that then is trying to disrupt an existing business model. So I think that's, I don't think it's quite as binary as saying that you can't change what's already there, but you just have to be very careful about separating those two things out, I think. Yeah, yeah. And how do you feel like business should embrace technology? Carefully. (laughs) (laughs) Can you explain it? (laughs) I think um, you've got to be really clear that you understand your business problems and what you're trying to solve. So technology at the end of the day is a bunch of tools. And I know it's kind of cliched, but the tools ain't going to fix everything. So, yeah, you really have to spend some time understanding what the problems are before you start to really kind of jump on technology. Because I've seen a lot of, I've I've been part of a lot of projects where there's kind of like, from a business side, there's a hope that it's going to completely fix things that they see as not working efficiently or as you know not delivering the best customer experience they could and sometimes often the problems or the root cause of those problems have got nothing to do with technology whatsoever so um, you do have to do it quite carefully. (laughs) So what I'm hearing you say is carefully but also clarity is important understanding what the pain point is but there's another c word that we haven't even touched on yet which I think you're referring to which is culture. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And I think that in an organisation where you're using technology as the tools, where it can fall apart is if the organisation actually isn't ready or doesn't want to change its culture to embrace that. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think it's really interesting. I've been now in a number of organisations that bandy all of those C words around, culture particularly, and my background was cultural studies. That's kind of actually how I got into technology in the first place is through that lens of cultural studies, which is interesting. And I do think there's a bit of confusion around about what actually culture is and what it what produces good culture. I've seen, you know, lots of that, oh, the teams need to be empowered and leadership sometimes not always take ownership for their own role in that as well. So I think, yeah, there's some important lessons to be learned about exactly what is culture and where is it formed from, I think is really highly complex. And it's not something that you can put a bunch of words on a whiteboard and then assume that that means everybody's going to embrace it in the same way. Yeah, that would be nice though, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it would be nice. I've seen people try to do that numerous times, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're the head of delivery at Unisuper. Yeah. Is it male dominated? Actually, Unisuper's got a really good female empowerment and diversity strategy. So their CIO or the woman that I work under is, um, yeah, she's a woman. And they really push hard to make sure that 
you know, they, they have a policy to interview 50-50 women, men for all roles. It doesn't always mean that that means that 50-50 is employed because, you know, they still employ the best people for the job, but they uh, make sure that they heavily target uh, women in technology. So that's been really good. So I find it quite balanced at Unisuper, but it's not always been the case. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask that question because especially since you've been working in the IT space and it's quite male-dominated, do you think that we're getting better at that? I mean, I'm listening to you say Unisuper starts off that way with interviews 50 fit, which is mm. great, but I'm also hearing you say that the best person gets chosen for the job, which is exactly right. Mm. But I'm sure you have stories, not at Unisuper, but with peers in the IT industry or with other companies, that not being the case. Mm. I think that equity-equality debate is a really interesting one in the technology space. You do need to have the role models there that women will then follow in. We're really dealing with decades of inequality in that space, so it's hard. It's not going to get fixed overnight, Mm -hmm. but I definitely think that there's massive moves being made across the board to have women really embrace their coaching role in helping other women into that space. So I think that will definitely help over the next 10, 20 years. But you're really dealing with a a root cause that's born out of the education system. So people coming into the courses to learn what they need to learn to be successful in technology, like there's actually a problem at that level, you know, girls doing maths, STEM subjects. So you're really kind of dealing with years and years. It's going to take a few decades, I think, to see that really shift. Yeah. And that's just a reality of time. Yeah. So you're really patient. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. That's right. So I'm fortunate. I think I'm really fortunate. I mean, I always laugh at the fact that I went off and did an arts degree, but my father, you know, 30 years ago or 40 years ago even, was sort of saying to me, you should do IT. Wow. (laughs) You'd be good at it. At the time, I was resisting it because I'm like, no, I don't want to do IT. Girls don't do IT. But, of course, now I'm working in that field, and he always says, see, I told you so. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, when you started your career, did you expect to be doing what you're doing today? Absolutely not. Ah, so tell me about that. Yeah. So I think it's just been a, I've been able to take advantage of just an organic, you know, opportunities have come up for me and it's just led me to where I am. So I really didn't set out with a goal, you know, 30 years ago to become a CIO, for example. That's just kind of, that happened. But what I did know was that I wanted to be solving complex problems and I wanted to be excited and interested by the job I was doing and the work I was doing. And so that's kind of what's drawn me into technology because of the way technology itself has shifted over the years. So you make it sound like your current role and your previous CIO role were all organic. Mm. Are you telling me that you didn't put any effort in to find those? No, I put a lot of effort in. (laughs) (laughs) And of course I had an amazing coach. (laughs) Amazing coach. I don't know who she might be. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's, um, I think it's important to note that there's points, like particularly over the last 20 years, which is probably what I would consider to be my serious career, um, over the last 20 years where I've, had lots of questions and it's just been 
meeting people like you and having that kind of coaching on the side to really acknowledge that that's helped build that clarity and then be able to set goals, which has then helped me go, right, okay, that is a goal. That is something that I really want to achieve and then going for it. So that planning side of things has been really important. But it doesn't mean to say that 20 years ago I had a vision of where I would be now. I didn't have a vision. It was more kind of, you know, that's the bit that's kind of grown out of a a year-by-year asking myself the questions of what did I want and then coming up with answers to those questions to build clarity to then say, right, now I know that this is the next step. And I know that before the head of delivery role, you were a CIO. Mm. Tell me what has been the difference in for you in the titles? Yeah. The titles have only been important from a perspective of what it means for how people view you. So from my own point of view, I really don't care about my title at all. (laughs) But there's a reality that a title, people go, oh, CIO. Oh, you were a CIO. Oh, there's an assumption that comes with that, that I've got a level of knowledge that's above what if I just said I was a digital producer, for example. So, you know, you're kind of, you're just leaning into that. It doesn't mean to say that as a digital producer, I wasn't reading the same books. I was. But it's just that now with that title behind me, there's an assumed knowledge when I say that word. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Have you got any words of advice for aspiring businesswomen and female leaders looking to change things for the better? Look, I think... I just encourage people to do a lot of reading around what the skills for the future are. And I think that ability to understand complex problems and to solve complex problems is really where we all need to be leaning in because, yeah, changing things for the better is not easy. You need a bit of persistence. You need a bit of resilience. And you really need to have the skills to embrace ambiguity. I know it's a bit of a buzzword, but you kind of do need that. And if you're looking too much for absolute truths all the time, then you'll kind of get a bit jaded. And um, you've really got to be stepping in to that space of the unknown constantly. So you would say do your research, keep up to date, think about skills for the future. Get that clarity. Thanks for summarising. Yes, that sounds good. (laughs) Thank you for coming, Tracy. It's been awesome talking to you. No worries. Thanks, Emma. That's Tracy Bell. What a delight to speak with Tracy. Her level-headedness is no doubt a factor in her being a great leader. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you love this episode, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And you're very welcome to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us with promoting the podcast for others to listen to inspirational topics on leadership and business. If you want to contact me directly, all the details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au. It's also where you can find my new book, Go Getter, in which I share practical tips to take control of your life. Speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.